last night. Of course, you know, there's a way to cheat on that now because your phone will automatically change over, uh, but it still gets to be a little bit confusing, doesn't it? How many of you got here an hour early? No one. <laughs> uh, how many of you have no idea what I'm talking about, wondering, <laughs> where am I? What time is it? Well, the uh, folks around us, especially those evil characters who do all of this daylight savings time, I mean, whoever planned this thing up, uh, especially when we spring forward, th then we really begin to say bad things about them. But they stay up until 2 a.m. and then they change time for the, for the whole nation. And we begin to uh, talk badly about them and think badly of them. And uh, we think we're never quite ready, especially in the springtime. So no one should fall asleep in here this morning because you've had, you've had that extra hour. Firefighters jump in there as well and remind us. They help us be ready for, in case there's a fire, they tell you to take batteries and, or take, take the old battery out of your fire alarm and put a new battery in so that you could be ready for anything that comes along, that you need to regularly keep up with all of that. And I had one of those terrible dreams last night uh, where I kept thinking I was late for church. I know none of you can relate to that at all, but I kept, I kept thinking, okay, I, I'm not going to make it, and then I, it reminded me of other dreams that I've had in the past, not relating to time change, but those where I, I dream that I am uh, not prepared to preach. Have you ever had one of those? You've got a meeting coming up, or you have some kind of an event or something going on, and, and you have dreams that you're not ready, and you keep, uh, you keep trying to wake up. It's almost like one of those dreams where you're running and you can never get anywhere. Don't you hate those? If, if any of y'all are psychoanalyzing me this morning, you could have a lot of fun with the kind of dreams that I have, and I certainly won't go into any details. But I, I had that dream, and I woke up this morning thinking, what time is it? And I had set my watch to the correct time. By the way, that one is not correct back there, so don't leave early. Um, I looked at, at my, um, my phone, and I thought, can I trust my phone? Is it the, the, you know, the right time? Did it actually shift over uh, at 2 a.m.? And then realized I was on time. And I, I talked to Jenny, and she had the same kind of thing. She said she kept waking up thinking that uh, she had missed uh, the time she was supposed to get up. And we have these dreams, and we have these thoughts because we have this fear of not being ready. This is really what Jesus is talking about here in this Gospel text, and this parable that He is telling. Readiness is His big point for the people. And so he tells another parable. I mean, Matthew just gives us parable after parable after parable that Jesus tells to the leaders of his religion. Jesus is giving renewed emphasis to their need to be ready for the Messiah. And you can see in this image that is here, this lamp that is being led. And it is something that they were very familiar with. In our culture of wedding planning and wedding planners and wedding directors and wedding singers... It is hard for us to understand the cultural context of this parable. I mean, as you read it, you think, this is really weird. Why would they be having a wedding late at night? Or why would they have to light lamps? And what is this all about? Well, it fit right into their cultural understanding. And it, just like with other Scripture, if we are going to understand it, we have to get back into their context, back into history to see what they were thinking and what was going on in their minds. They would certainly understand the custom of bridesmaids waiting outside the door to light the way for the bridegroom. This was just customary. They would go outside and they would take their oil lamps and they would look for the bridegroom to come. They had no idea when he might show up. 
And they would know that once the bridegroom went into the house where the wedding was to take place, that they would follow in behind him and the party as they were going on in. They would also understand that once the bridegroom went in and once they followed him in, the doors would be shut by the ushers of that household. They would just close the doors. This, again, was just a custom. Because if you weren't there in time, you really didn't belong in. I wonder if we should do that sometimes. Just kind of, you know, lock the doors. And that's what they did. They shut the doors and you were not able to get in. And if you were standing on the outside, you really weren't that important to the family. You would have been there on time if you had been important. There'd be no late arrivers to their weddings. And again, if they were actual family or friends, it would, they would be there in time. This was just the custom, which would not play well in our culture, would it? When people are late to weddings, have you ever been to a funeral and people come in like at the very last minute? If you're the one who's being honored there, uh, if you're the one who is dead, I guess you wouldn't recognize it necessarily, but you would want people who loved you to actually be there on time. And the same thing, again, happens with church. It happens to meetings and other things. We are a late society and we tend to put things off. But Jesus was not focused on the wedding and not so much the bridegroom's arrival either. That, that's really not the point here. He is really crafting his story to make a huge and monumental point to the, the people around him, the religious leaders and the, the, the disciples and the others who might be hearing this story about the foolish bridesmaids. If we had had time to read all of the readings that were set aside for this Sunday, we would read some about wisdom and foolishness. And if we were to read the First Thessalonians passage, you would hear something there about people who are wise and are looking ahead to the second coming of Christ. And, and really that's Paul's whole intent on the letter to the Christians at Thessalonica. He wants them to understand that they are not to be lazy and slothful, but to be working. And that's where that, that passage comes, if you don't work, you don't eat. He wants them to understand they're to be active and working, looking ahead to the second coming of Christ. It is wisdom versus foolishness. Those who weren't prepared, who had no oil in their lamps when it was time to light them, they were the foolish ones. Jesus is contrasting them with the other five bridesmaids who fell asleep like the other five, but who were ready when the time came to light their lamps. They were prepared to greet the bridegroom. And as Matthew has already noted in the text that we've heard this last month, Jesus' religious group, the Jews, were to love their neighbors. They were to act with kindness and righteousness. Not just to their own people, but to everyone around them. They were to be a light for all of the nations. And our reading from Amos this morning really highlights this in a bold way. Amos is one of those strange characters. And if you have not read Amos, I encourage you to pull out your Bible and read through Amos sometime because he is a fiery preacher. He is a, a prophet for God. And, and you can just imagine that no one took him out to lunch after church was over. Uh, people were saying nasty things about him because he was literally going around and pointing people out, pointing nations and groups and, um, and all of his, his friends and his family, all these people around him. He is literally going around in a circle pointing out why God was mad at them. I mean, just a great and wonderful guy. A guy you'd love to hang around. And so he is, he is pointing out the fact that, that God is mad at them. As Amos tells them, God was fed up with their worship and that the day of judgment was coming on a, like a lion. 
And as the scripture said, it's like you escape from a lion only to meet a bear. I mean, you think you've gotten away. And all of a sudden, there's this mean, nasty bear that is getting ready to just to, to take you out. And he says, the day of judgment is coming and you need to be ready. And y'all have blown it. You've completely missed God's whole point. God was not impressed with their elaborate worship. And, and it was very elaborate. They had all of these nice and wonderful prayers and things, the rituals that they would do. And they would make these sacrifices and these offerings. And God is saying, I detest it. That's really not what matters to me. Amos quoted God as saying, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They were in trouble, big trouble, because they had missed what mattered most to God. Justice and righteousness to the people around them and even to each other. As Amos and Jesus state, they would all be accountable on the day of the Lord. Well, all this talk of accountability makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? We really don't like to be held accountable for anything, whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's uh, you know, when we have to uh, get pulled over by a police officer who's giving us a ticket. We just don't like to be held accountable. We tend to be procrastinators. I know none of you are procrastinators, but we as a society tend to be that way, knowing what needs to be done but exhibiting uh, great skill and finding ways to put off what we need to do. Right? I mean, with our taxes or with uh, our, our uh, skills, I mean, our, our, um, the to-do list that we have, the things that we're to follow through with, we put them off until the very end. And we get onto our kids for doing this, don't we? Especially with homework assignments and other things that come up. But we do it as well. We love to put things off. And because of this, there are self-help books. There are seminars, there are probably 12-step groups to help procrastinators, you know, Procrastinators Anonymous, and seminars out there for people who procrastinate because it costs us money. It, it brings pain into our individual lives, to our companies, and yes, even to churches for putting things off, and yet we never really seem to learn the lesson. Part of our denial, part of our problem is denial about the impending day of accountability that is coming. We can so easily be like the child in a story uh, that uh, Donna Spratt uh, wrote in Christian Reader. She, she writes, To start a discussion on core values, our youth pastor asked the teenagers, What would you do if your doctor told you that you had only 24 hours to live? Have you ever thought about that? If you only had 24 hours to live, what would you do in those 24 hours? The teens mentioned being with friends and family, and the discussion seemed headed in the right direction. But it came undone when Jason, our 13-year-old, said, I'd get a second opinion. <laughs> Maybe you feel the same way too. We hear from Jesus that we have work to do in this world, and that we will have to give an answer for our time that is spent here, and it is a short amount of time. And we say, I'd like to get a second opinion on that. I mean, that's the way we live. Really? Jesus, were, were you really serious when you said that you were going to come again into this world, that, that something would take place and that we would be with you and that we would have a day of accountability? I mean, really, you could come today. Our tendency is to gloss over all of the second coming passages, especially they hit this time of year in the church season, in this lectionary cycle. 
and we can push them aside and, and we can get into the Advent season, which we do at the end of this month. It is hard to believe, but it is true. As we have our hanging of the green service the last Sunday of this month. It begins the first Sunday of Advent. And we can just go through the season of Advent and get all caught up and think about it's all about Christmas and it's all about gifts and all of that and forget that it's about not the first coming of Jesus into our world, but the second and the incoming of God into our world all over again. And we can do that and put our focus in the wrong places. So how is it that we can get past our spiritual procrastination and our denial and do what God wants us to do? In keeping with Jesus' story here, we need to make sure that we have some oil. Maybe to take some time to pull off the road of our lives and to check the oil. My dad always, he was never involved in the, the practice of driving in my family. And when it came time for my brother to learn to drive, I think that ruined it. But when I, I was the younger uh, sibling, and when it came time to me, I just noticed it was my mother who would take me out and teach me to drive. And as I was mentioning to somebody this past week, she, uh, you could see where her fingernails had gone in the dashboard. You know, back then they had those real cushy dashboards. And where she would, I remember she'd go, <gasps> you know, and stick her hands. And I remember running through lights and never really getting the timing down of like when you're supposed to hit the gas and when you're supposed to hit the brake. She was, she was the one who was always involved in teaching me to drive. I think, you know, she gave up and just said, go get your license. But my dad, he always had the wisdom, you know, to be able to share with you. You know, son, you need to get your, uh, your oil changed every time that you stop at the gas station. And I remember seeing him do that. You know, he'd put up the hood and get out there and check the oil. And uh, as some of my friends would learn, that, that is an important thing to do. Uh, I made sure that I was always doing that every time that I stopped for gas. It was a good habit and practice to get into. But I had a friend who uh, just kept on driving and didn't recognize that you were supposed to put oil in your car. And uh, terrible things happened to her as uh, she would drive along and realize that it wasn't going to go any further without oil. I think the smoke was a giveaway on that. But we are to make sure that we have oil in our lives. And this is the one thing that distinguished the foolish bridesmaids from the wise bridesmaids. Both of them fell asleep. And I think it's interesting to note that both groups fell asleep and they were all asleep. And it's also interesting to note that when the uh, one group realized they were out of oil, the other, the wise ones, wouldn't give them any. I think Jesus, and there's a lot that we could read into that, but even the wise ones, they, they were selfish in many ways. No, I'm not going to give you any oil because, you know, I might run out of oil. But those with oil went awakened. They were ready for the moment. It is clear from Jesus' other parables in this chapter, as well as throughout the rest of the Gospels, that the oil that His religious colleagues were to have uh, in their lives as well as in their religion consisted of love for neighbor, love for themselves, and, and this idea of righteousness to other people, of ethical living to the people around them. This was needed in their society, and it is still needed today, isn't it? It is not so hard to imagine what Jesus would have to say in this day when injustice is seen and felt in our nation and around our world, when political scandals become the norm. I mean, we turn on the TV, especially in this time of presidential debates and presidential election, to, to be able to see who's goofed up. And, and there are people digging up stuff on each other, and there are people who really don't need anyone to dig up stuff on them. And it just comes out in the press, and we love this, and it really becomes the expectation. I mean, we get bored if there's not a good scandal, right? And so we continue on thinking this is the norm. 
when ethics have become so situational that character has become relative. If ever there was a time we needed oil, it is now. Well, we put oil in our lamps and we live in readiness when, as we hear the words from Amos again. These that must have been ringing in Jesus' ears as He spoke that day. That God would just as soon uh, not have us gather for worship on Sunday if we are not scattering for service and ministry Monday through Saturday. It is living with a recognition of what matters most to God. That our true offering to God is that with what we, that what we do with the great commandment of Jesus in our relationships, in our conversations, in our offices, in our classrooms. It is not what we do when we come together on Sunday morning. Now, God does care about that part, and we've talked about love for God. But real love and real worship on Sunday always results in justice for others, righteousness at home and at work, and love for neighbor. That's how God measures our discipleship. Well, since this is what matters most, I mean, how do we make sure that we're doing it? Well, we begin by setting out to be like the five wise bridesmaids, choosing wisely today about tomorrow. We make a choice to act to ensure justice for those in our world who have none, for the marginalized, for the bullied, for the minority, and for the forgotten. We remember the helpless of our society and the powerless. They are all around us here and they are all around the world. We choose wisely by making sure that our church ministries and our personal activities are full of the righteousness that God has provided to us, not that which is earned, because we recognize the Bible tells us we, we can't earn that kind of righteousness. It is something that is instilled in us through Jesus Christ. We choose wisely by choosing love over hate, activity over passivity, and character over corruption. And what really helps us to ensure that we have oil in our lamps is to remember this day of accountability. Now, I'm not going to describe it that you're running from a lion and get caught up by a bear. Amos does a good job of that, and we'll just leave it at that. But God does hold us responsible. And I don't really think this has anything to do with our salvation. We understand that, again, that is something that is by God's grace. We can't earn that. But it has everything to do with the, uh, the kinds of activity that we do in this short time while we're here on earth, that we will be held accountable for that. There will be a time when we stand before God and give accountability for if we've loved people, or if we've hated them, for the things that we've done or the things that we've left undone. It is a day of recognition. And it causes us to look more closely at our careers, at our relationships, at our possessions, our resources, and our community. Realizing this leads... Uh, us out on a day like today to walk for hunger. And I, I think uh, Sabra put that in, in such a powerful way that we think about the, the food we have on our tables. And that there are people, we don't have to think about people on the, you know, out in the remote places of Africa who have no food. There are people right here in this neighborhood. And I can tell you that I talk, talk to them sometimes several times a week as they come by looking for food. And they have none. And we can make those things available. But we walk for hunger. We throw birthday parties for formerly home, homeless veterans like we're doing this Monday night. It comes from tutoring a child or painting a house in Lake Providence. It comes from sharing the good news of Jesus with a friend 
It means that we live as though today could be the day that we see Jesus. Pastor Lee Eklov tells the story of Robbie Robbins, who was an Air Force pilot during the, uh, the first Iraq war. After his 300th mission, he was surprised to be given permission to immediately pull his crew together and to fly his plane home. They flew across the ocean to Massachusetts and then had a long drive to western Pennsylvania. They drove all night, and when his buddies dropped him off at his driveway just after sunup, there was a big banner across the garage, and it said, Welcome home, Dad. How did they know? He wondered. No one had called, and when the crew themselves hadn't expected to leave so quickly, they were surprised as well. Robbins relates, When I walked into the house, the kids, about half-dressed for school, screamed, Daddy! And then Susan came running down the hall, and she looked terrific. Her hair was fixed, her makeup was on, she was in a crisp, beautiful yellow dress. How did you know? I asked. I didn't, she answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us. So we were ready every day. Ready every day. That's how we're to live. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are a God who has demonstrated to us